3: And welcome to Cool People Did Cool Stuff, a podcast about Ian, our audio producer.
2: Yay.
3: Uh, I'm your host, Margaret Kiljoy, and each week I say the exact same thing by way of introduction, faced with the Sisyphean task of doing my rather easy job. This week's guest is Alex Beals. Alex, how are you doing? I'm pretty good.
4: I'm pretty good. I've cooled down since last time. Yeah, this uh, is totally a different day. Oh, yes, totally. <laughs> totally. Uh, I've been wearing a wetsuit full of uh, ice cubes. It's great.
3: Excellent. Yeah. I don't know. That's a weird Dutch thing, I
4: guess. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, uh, It's how you prepare for surfing in the North Sea.
3: (laughs) Yeah, that's probably true. Okay. Uh, Sophie is here playing the part of the voice of God. Sophie, how are you?
2: Am I the voice of God or is the Zoom lady that makes the service announcement that we're recording the voice of God?
3: Okay, well, you're the one who um, makes that happen. So you're sort of more like the Pope. Podcast Pope. I'll take it. Okay, we'll get
2: you ahead
4: If We're into zo- into Gnosticism. Then the Zoom lady would be Metatron, and Sophie is the real deity behind it.
2: Cool.
3: I think that that is actually what's happening. Yeah. Um, also, this is the third time that Gnosticism has come up in the past like three days for me. So clearly,
2: clearly something's, something's happening. happening. Yeah. So I never
3: yeah. talk about
4: it. So the fact <laughs> that I
3: bring it up now is yeah. definitely irrelevant. <laughs> Okay, and Ian is our editor on Woman, made our theme music, and you, the listener, are responsible for the end of all human society because you didn't recycle. It's too late now. Mm-hmm. And we are talking about how cool it is to break into empty buildings and live in them. In the first part, we learned about the squatters in the Netherlands, and in the second part, we're going to keep learning about the squatters in the Netherlands. What a fun word, squatter. You want to say <laughs> it, Sophie? Squatter. See? Isn't it fun?
2: Or if, you can... you're, if you're from New York, squatter. Nope, I did a bad job. I tried.
3: Okay, but would then Baltimore be squitter?
2: Squitter, yeah. yeah. Um,
3: squitter? I, yeah, I um, there's parts of Maryland and then, and then LA, where you it's say like, water instead of water. It's like
2: squatter. That's L.A. Yeah. It's squatter. Yeah. I can make fun of L.A. now that I don't live there. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> or we can say crockin'. There you go. Um, yes. Which is even spelled like the sea beast, which is extra cool. Yeah. Mm. So where we last left our heroes, uh, all of whom are anonymous, there's very few names in this story, which is kind of cool. It's all just like groups of people who wanted houses rather than like movement leaders and shit. I've actually never studied a movement with fewer like named leaders, especially a movement that got so much done. Anyway, they are organizing demonstrations against the coronation of Beatrix, who does get a name um she's not anonymous she's fairly known to history. The police attacked really hard on Coronation day. Ten thousand police attacked two different demonstrations with water cannons and horses and and all that shit. Over six hundred people were injured. The police were driven back though in both places, and the riots are possibly the largest in dutch history uh i that that
4: might that might well be that might well be so it's it's interesting like mm-hmm. I haven't really studied this history, but like as mm-hmm. uh, someone active in the Netherlands, you you just sort of through osmosis you get bits and pieces of it. And this uh geen woning, geen kroning uh uh relle, these riots. Mm-hmm. Um, they like you you get you get these bits and bobs of it, like what you what you say, like the uh, police being driven back in two places, like one of them being the, the Amstelbrug. In mm-hmm. front of what is now the new uh, municipal headquarters, um, and this whole thing like about like uh, the armored vehicles and just the, the sheer amount of violence and the amount of uh, police being uh, there on the day, yeah,
3: yeah, no, I, and it's interesting because there's not that much available in English about it. Um, even the like the book I'm reading on the squatter movement is like, eh, and then the like biggest riots in our history anyway. So then back to the squatting. And I'm like, huh, but I, I kind of want to know about this thing that, you know, um... but yeah. And, and the, once again, the squatters and the, in this, mo- in this case, these demonstrations were larger than just the squatter movement, although they performed, they created like a lot of the organizational core of it, as far as I understand. Um, and they very consciously were like, we're not afraid of violence, but we will stop short of the Molotov and we will stop short of the pistol. Not unless the police and in- police initiate lethal force first. Um, they they had Molotovs and pistols, but they were they were not on hmm. the scene, um, at least again, best I can tell from what I'm reading, and I have one story about a named squatter that I like. Oh. The the radio equipment in the Great Kaiser, where they had the free you know free radio Kaiser or whatever, um, was put to a new use during these riots. Carol Fassat, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. I should have looked it up.
1: Battle.
4: This is Carol. He's a Carol. Yeah, yeah. Carol. Okay, yeah. Carol.
3: He was a he was a squatter out of necessity. He had been born into a working class family. He was living on the streets at 18, so he became a squatter. And he cut his, his riot radio teeth listening to police radio during squatter riots. And this is part of the whole counter-information stuff that squatters have mm-hmm. going on really well. By the time of the coronation, he brought a different set of radio equipment into the squad, into the Great Kaiser. And he into a barricaded room on the top floor where everyone could escape out a hatch if they needed to. And the roof as, as was stocked with refrigerators and buckets of motor oil uh, in case they needed to drop refrigerators and or buckets of motor oil onto anybody from, <laughs> from their roof. The pantry was stocked with fireworks. And these four radio operators who are on the top floor, they have two groups. And I'm going to quote Cottle directly. You could interfere by putting a carrier wave on the police signal and transmitting at the same moment the police did. We made sure that the police speakers would make a screeching sound or a low hum. All those noises really grated on the police officers' nerves. We could hear commanders swear and get frustrated. This
0: created wow. even
3: more
4: chaos on the streets. Wow! <laughs> That's fucking cool. That they were just like effectively like blocking and frustrating the the police their own communications at this moment.
3: Yeah, just just jamming it, just flooding it with more shit. And so two of them were doing that and two of them were monitoring what police communications they could and basically coordinating together. And then at the end of the day, they unloaded all the equipment, packed it into their cars and drove away. And wow. You know, I guess it had been long enough ago that this guy was willing to give an interview about this like 40 years later or whatever.
4: That's that's fascinating. So I I I never never knew this. Like maybe people were like deeper into like squatting itself um, might might know more of this. But I thought you were going to say like the radio equipment was for the co- the coordination among squatters and, right. uh, and activists that day. But that's completely separate still.
3: Yeah, yeah. I don't know whether you know. I I kind of presume since these people were all really good at radio and had all this equipment, they probably were doing communication, you know, coordinating or whatever. Um, especially since they drove back like 10,000 cops, um, which coordination is a useful component of. Helps. But, and then also during the coronation or maybe during the month leading up to it, 50, but I think possibly on the day of, 52 luxury apartments were squatted uh, and people moved into very nice apartments. Unfortunately, one person who moved into a very nice apartment was the queen who got to be (laughs) the queen and the coronation worked. And Mm. uh, But... Some people got to watch police retreat and other people got houses for a while. So sometimes that's the best you can kind of hope for, you know.
4: Compared to a lot of demonstrations, uh, it's a lot, you know.
3: Yeah, totally. And so squats at this point are popping off everywhere around the country, big and small. Uh, One in the city of The Hague uh, was squatted in 1980. It housed 200 people. It held a cinema and a venue and a restaurant and a pirate radio station. And it published a magazine. And the whole squat lasted for 23 years. And like something that I, I think is like kind of almost hard to wrap our heads around um, is the the scale of squatting. You know, um, I I was not able to find a solid number of squats that existed in the early 80s. Uh, I saw it estimated in the like low tens of thousands, but I'm not I'm not sure.
4: Oh, but that's huge.
3: Yeah. And, you know, it's everything from like, here's an apartment that a couple people live in to these giant complexes that have movie theaters and shit, you know? Um, and it just, it, I don't know. I, it's really impressive.
4: <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's impressive. Cause if you, if you don't know, then you don't, you don't necessarily expect it. And you say, God, they're, they're squatting. They're taking this unoccupied area. Mm-hmm. Maybe they have a nice shed somewhere or something, but no, yeah. like ev- even now <laughs> with like much of the squatting movement, uh, you know, really, really much smaller than before. Mm -hmm. Um, in Amsterdam there is there is like a uh, a movie theater that you that is from the squatting movement uh, that is like really close to the movement still and there are uh, like legalized squatted house groups that have like multiple front doors that in in the back kind of connect even if they necessarily didn't before Mm -hmm. and like tens of people still live there yeah and it also uh, disseminate more into like small smaller towns and stuff so if people are like in their thirties or forties, usually like often they be, they'll be able to name like a squat in a in like a, a nearby town or city, like not just like Amsterdam or like the the like connected big cities like Utrecht and Rotterdam, mm-hmm. but also like smaller places like Groningen, which was like a provincial provincial city, and Nijmegen. They had like big squatting movements. Like Groningen was supposedly very heavy. And at some point Nijmegen had like an sort of anarchist based uh school area that was like a uh a, a, oh that's cool a school based on their principles that lasted like for a while based from like the squatting movement yeah like, they were building up a lot of stuff yeah
3: okay and so so one of the squats that i was able to find more information about one of these earlier squats that a lot of action happened around or. Are... Actually, well, just some neat stories. I mean, one of the things that's so interesting about this is just like tons and tons of like neat stories from all of this time. Like I remember at one point being on top of a, a squatted apartment complex that had like a, a courtyard in the middle and, you know, I, I think dozens of apartments and, and the top is built in a way that to me reads like a castle because you have a roof and then you have a wall and then you have the street on the other side. And people are like, oh, yeah, in the early 80s, when cops would come down the street, we would use a catapult and throw paint bombs that are the size of paint cans at the cop cars and then the cop cars would crash and i'm like this so is strange. this does not map to my experience of the world um no and so there's a squat in in on herring in 1980 and it was two attached buildings and when 50 squatters broke in another group of um uh okay so the book that I'm mostly reading from in this case, a lot of this is from a book called Cracking the Movement, which is not incredibly well translated and is full of firsthand accounts. And it says, quote, some musicians happen to be walking down the street in riot police uniforms and they came to play us music. So the what? squatters are just dressed up like riot cops. At the opening of the squat um, with instruments and just came and played and maybe it was to cover the sound of like the alarms or i i don't I, I have no fucking clue i wish i knew why did they do this i don't know um
4: the same there's, there's a lot mm-hmm. of stuff like that, that yeah. that's like why why did they do this how did they get away with this is this yeah. is this the netherlands yeah like like there were like back in um and i can't exactly place this but there were mm-hmm. like really sympathetic uh judges in the netherlands like where they said, like, well, there was there was this confrontation, and there was the police, and now people get get sued uh, for violence against the police uh, because of uh, bricks were thrown, etc. Um, allegedly, and then the and then like there were some some cases where the judge would go, well, but I mean, like, uh, they're they're wearing helmets, right? I mean, the police are wearing helmets. <laughs> ah, that's no problem. Let's <laughs> let them go. Yeah, it's, it's completely like, huh? how how does that happen? Yeah.
3: Yeah, I remember when I first showed up, I had just missed uh, the eviction of a squat called um the Punk Rock on Roken. And mm. and it had been this like huge elaborate eviction. Um and I don't know, and like someone like went to jail for I think what happened was they got accused of throwing a Molotov at a cop and convicted of it and then like sentenced to like nine months in jail versus what at the time there was a US um, a US anarchist who was in jail for seven years for throwing a rock at a cop and like so it the scale of everything it, it's I don't know whatever I'm not trying to make too big of a difference of the, the cultural differences because I do think still like the the core idea of the way that the Dutch squat movement like built agency and, and took power I think is still really beautiful okay so the same but also I mm-hmm. think
4: like these kind of things they they stretch what is possible also okay like- so, so this think, isn't the think, normal. Well, so n- especially not now. But mm-hmm. like, um, I th- I, like I don't know the the exact history of it. But I think the case can be made that actions like this mm-hmm. um, set. All, they also set a precedent where, in under certain circumstances, becomes possible to do more militant right. stuff because there's more of a history and more of a practice of it.
3: Yeah, no, that's that's a really good point. And some of the stuff that we'll talk about about, yeah. Okay, so the same squat in Herengrocht, there was a phone in the elevator and the cops call it after a few days and the squatters answer and the cops are like, okay, we have established that the place was vacant. So you aren't facing immediate eviction. The cops like called to tell them that and the squatters are like, oh, that's amazing. Um, Also, what's the phone number here? Because they want to use the phone. (laughs) And the cops are like, we're not telling you the fucking phone number. And they like hang up and then the phone is disconnected a couple days later. But even though ostensibly the cu- the squatters are allowed to remain until their court cases are resolved, the owners found a loophole in that law. And that loophole is the same loophole that cuts through most politics. Violence. Correct? Mm. Violence that is completely extra legal. It's not actually a loophole in the law. It's just that owners figured out you could just beat the shit out of people and get what you need. Yeah, yeah. Um, since cops wouldn't always evict squats, owners would just hire construction workers and shit to break in and beat up squatters. Um and the the dutch word for construction worker is like a Oh, you you should say it instead of me
4: um is this a word? oh oh yeah no i see i see where you're going for because there's a joke you can make that was a
3: <laughs> yeah um it sounds like ballfucker to me
4: and, ah okay yeah um yeah i, I got the fucker to fucker uh, one yeah To me, these are completely different words of course
3: but yeah no absolutely. english language <laughs>
0: No. This this is why uh, actually
3: they're... no one was friends with me in the Netherlands, is I kept thinking Dutch words were funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, and so, so construction workers or just like thugs, basically, basically like owners hire people and are like, hey, go beat up these like, you know, scrawny squatter punks or whatever. And I don't know. And so it'd just be like sometimes like while I was there, even, you know, you go, everyone has to go sleep at the squat for a night or two in case the, the, the Balvakers show up to fight and I'm glad I never had to fight them personally but squatters would fight them off and they would fight them off by standing on the roof and throwing bricks at them and shit and as owners would hire people to beat up the squatters the squatters retaliated and they would go directly to the owners homes because the squatters are very good at finding information about who owns what buildings and things and they would like break out windows and throw smoke bombs into owners houses and and retaliate to them being you know thrown out onto the street or illegally evicted and all this shit. Yeah, And so rooftops ended up getting barricaded with like barbed wire and searchlights in case gangs try and break in over the rooftops. And and everyone went so hard, right? But for a couple different reasons. First, being a squatter beats being homeless. And second, uh, I would say the Dutch squat scene is where I learned what solidarity looks like um, and what collective responsibility really can look like. If you make it really hard for people to fuck with you, you make people a lot less likely to fuck with the next person. Mm-hmm. And you know, so there there became this attitude of like we always fight evictions because that is how we keep this whole thing going. and,
4: and this is hard mm-hmm. to set up like i've I've heard people speak of like frustrations, like how do you main how do you maintain this this mode or how do you keep getting the people to to show up? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like with certain houses, if you if you squat there with certain groups and especially the more politicized ones, like, I've heard people say, like, we had the rule, like, if you live in this house, you go to the squatting action. Yeah. And uh, if you weren't there, you need a good excuse. But because other, otherwise, uh, we'll talk to you because you're supposed to be in solidarity with the rest.
3: Yeah. And it it's interesting how it cuts across, like, who you like, you know, like people show up at squat actions or people that they can't stand. Um, at least it, it's some of the stuff that I, I saw or heard about, you know, and. Yeah, it, there's this expectation. If you are a squatter, you go to squat actions, whether you want to or not. Um, which is interesting, right? Because you, you're creating this social pressure. But it is like, well, I don't know. It's That's the movement that is providing your housing for free. It makes sense to hmm. keep some skin in the game. And with like, there would be exceptions, right? Like uh, if someone was undocumented and, you know, or had overstayed their visa or whatever, like, you know, if people like couldn't risk arrest... I, I think that people weren't asking them to come. But as you as you said, like, you know, you need a need an excuse or otherwise you're you're going.
4: Yeah, yeah. And but also mm-hmm. it's not also not like um uh like standard. So this so the solidarity is really uh really good and really strong. And they were able to maintain it uh, with a lot of the people participating. But also there were like situations where uh like people were helped to a squatted building and then like organized crime showed up mm-hmm. and then People came to defend the squad while like some of the people living in, or like a lot of them, uh, in some cases inside were like almost like oblivious to what was happening. Oh, uh. It was just an easy place, I'll just move in. Mm-hmm. And they, they, and maybe they weren't like uh, that connected yet, or they didn't mm-hmm. really know, or they were new. Uh, but but you had this situation, like sometimes this, this sort of like frustrating kind of disconnect yeah. between like the people being like, "This is an important thing. This is a political action," and also we're fighting. To maintain this while like people inside are like, I don't even know what's yeah. going
3: on. <laughs> yeah, like I just want a free place to sleep. Um, uh, speaking of organized crime, we live under a system by which uh, people force us to participate in capitalism, uh, which feels like organized crime. And we also are sponsored by capitalism. No, we are supposed to only be sponsored by good things. Um it's almost like there's a contradiction that I face <laughs> by, by trying to do this. Sophie, you seem like sometimes you have something the, to say. the
4: things that are legal are the worst, right?
3: <laughs> yeah, that's true. organized legal crime, the OK, whatever. here's some advertisers
1: This is it. your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global.
0: just be me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor-Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th.
3: And we are back. And we are talking about... Yeah, like, that's actually one of the things that I, I, I wanted to know more about because, you know, I keep reading about, like, thugs showing up or construction workers showing up, but I'm also aware of uh, organized crime as being participate in this. Uh, the, the squad I lived the longest in in the Netherlands um, was a mafia leader had gone to prison for being a mafia leader. So people moved into his mansion and that's where I lived. I think I know where this is going. And it ruled. Uh, and, you know, and that every now and then like mafia guys would show up at the front door being like, we think you should leave. And like people were like, no, we have very good barricades and we're good. And they were yeah. like, oh, and then they would leave. Um, I don't know
4: yeah That's well weird. so i like like i say, i don't really have like a, a structured uh mm-hmm. knowledge knowledge of it but you hear like a lot of weird stories come by like mm-hmm. uh this kind of thing like oh it's our building and we want it um and then there's just like often organized crime is quite conservative and uh uh so there i've heard stories i'm not sure how stu- true they are
1: mm-hmm. of
4: like hell's Angels gangs uh joining the police to fight squatters for instance yeah um, but i've also heard stories of like Um, places being squatted where the owner has a problem with organized crime and then some very friendly thugs keep coming back. Hey, hello. (laughs) I love what you've done with the place. Love it. Nice. So here's my phone number. Hey, (laughs) if this guy who owns this place comes by, would you Uh be a doll? Give us a ring. (laughs) And that's, I mean that's the three-way
3: fight thing right that is the yeah. like you know um, yeah that's and a
4: very nice situation to have yeah but also like where um, the situation's like um, so this is a story I've heard where people would have had squatted a house mm-hmm. um, and uh, some some mafia people came over and they were like some kind of uh, shady folk and they, mm-hmm. they would come by and they're like hey let's better, better get out we want to we need. We just get out, and mm-hmm. uh, and there was like no, no, we're fine. And then at <laughs> night they get broken into and like uh, beaten the shit out of, uh,
1: mm-hmm.
4: and then they find that uh, in the morning when they're still there because they're not like taken out of it, like the the, the building was then, then left derelict. But mm-hmm. then they find that uh, in some part of the building uh, there was a safe that was now empty.
3: Oh bought. shit! Uh-huh. Yeah, like
4: this kind of stuff would happen also. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And then there's some people like more recently that say like well, you know squatting from the mafia is nice because they don't call the cops so just if you if you have enough friends that they don't want to bother it bother with it then it's fine because you know they're uh, yeah so it's it's easier than dealing with the bureaucracy.
3: And I think that's where I, where I lived. I think that was the reason it lasted for a while was because well the owner's in jail like I don't know he wasn't starting the court proceedings against us. But one thing you said okay like to one of the things that. You said, oh, well, I like what you've done with the place. One of the things that really comes up when you start talking to people about squatting, there's this conception of like basically like people coming in and trashing places. Mm -hmm. Um, And that absolutely happens sometimes, right? But one of the things that I was really struck by was that overall, people are incredibly industrious at turning places into living places and like beautifying it, not necessarily in ways that owners would like but certainly ways that squatters would like. I mean, I remember going into a place that was a, you know, it was like four stories and there were mm-hmm. no floors when people moved in. It was a shell of a house and they literally yeah. built the floors kind of in the middle as like kind of almost like it looked like a, like a jungle gym. You know, they just like put construction yeah, yeah. poles up and then built floors and then there's this like you know, if you're on the top floor, you could fall 40 feet if you were drunk. But fortunately, yeah. no one was ever drunk. No, people are drunk all the time, <laughs> probably for the best. But that, they they
4: yeah. entered into a relaxed state, you know, that helped them <laughs> yeah. survive the fall. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Um, yeah. But this is this is interesting. So um, there's a, like a lot of uh, as you say, like that the Bauvackers were like the mm-hmm. uh, like often called in as thugs. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but there's like a lot of like construction people or people who've learned. Mm-hmm. Uh, to love or do uh, construction within within squatting because of all this like DIY yeah. uh, building stuff they do. And it's it's also something that has won over like, uh, at least in the day, like a lot of also like uh, liberals and centrists when it's like, well, mm-hmm. but if they're fixing the place up, uh, then it's good. And, they, and you can show like, oh, look how nice it is. Look how red right. it looks. To the point that you get now, you get like gentrifying private spaces that use like uh, sort of like the alternative squatter uh, aesthetic uh, uh-huh. as a as a as a marker of style. So they will make a very professional uh, palette-based furniture, for instance. Uh-huh. Um, and this is like like if you have like a new hip like yuppie place intending to gentrify an area, chances are you're going <laughs> to see like palette-based furniture here or there. Uh huh. Oh, because God, they because they course. take from that style and from this mm-hmm. like supposed alternative oh it's your own choice you're here as an individual because you're not in the mainstream you know that that kind mm-hmm. of uh, uh, hipster uh, yeah. way of doing.
3: I wish that surprised me in any way, but okay. So back to so back to oh the, no, if I have t- one
4: one more thing. Okay, one more thing. Okay. So do you remember from the previous episode when I say like sometimes judges would be quite well willing towards squatters occasionally. Mm-hmm. Um, not in general, but sometimes. So, um, I heard stories of one judge where like squatters were quite happy if they got uh, this one judge um, because he was he was a very was a common sense kind of area. It's like, okay, well, were they really doing something with the building? No. Well, no, no. People should live there. Fine. Yeah. And this person was also known for occasionally being like, you know what? Let's uh, let's have a recess. We'll meet there at the squat in. Uh, Fifteen minutes. It's a uh, little bit of a walk. bring <laughs> a cup of coffee. Let's go see the place. And the the judge would just walk into the house. You're like, okay, let me in. Let's see how's it look. Oh, oh you kept it nice and clean. Oh, it's that that part doesn't look so great. What's going on there? <laughs> oh, come on. Keep, yeah. And uh, and then if the if the place looked nice, mm-hmm. then he would be more uh, willing to say like. That's or, funny. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
3: So, one of the things that squatters were doing. Past the rule of law and kind of almost how they started, I think, actually really built their power is they would also re squat buildings and re squatting buildings was kind of the most extreme statement because you're you're driving out the owner's thugs or you're driving out cops. You're taking the building by force and you usually at this point have no more legal protection. You've lost your court cases, but you don't care. It's your house. You want back in. Um and so some of these resquats became the most potent symbols during a lot of like a lot of the larger riots and stuff during 1980 or so. Focus around these. And during the summer, a few months after Coronation Day, on July 3rd, 1980, folks resquatted a building called the, the Vogelstrauss, Um It was held by thugs who, who threw rocks. They also threw a sewer pipe, they threw a chair. They threw everything that they could find to keep the squatters back, uh, because the squatters had stockpiled all that stuff ahead of time. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So the squatters built a siege engine, a siege shield. They took a wooden door. They attached legs to it, like tall legs, I think. So it was kind of like a very tall mm-hmm. table so they could set it down, I think. That's the best I can understand. And then they put a box spring mattress on top so that as rocks came, they would like bounce off.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And they walked it towards the door to protect them from the rocks. And they... Uh, While in the meantime, other squatters ripped up cobblestones, broke them with a hammer into manageable chunks to throw at the thugs inside the building. They get to a window and they ram it open with beams and traffic signs and they get into the ground floor. But since they were attacking a building that they had built the defenses for, it was very well defended. The trap door up to the the second floor um, was had a lot of like refrigerators and handy heavy things like next to it to be put onto the trap door uh-huh. So they they use a circular saw, they cut through their own trapdoor, they make it up to the next floor. And then the floor after that, some Italian squatters showed up with the the translation calls them iron catapults. What? And they launch lead weights up the next stairwell to drive back the thugs. What? I don't know. I have no idea. Iron, iron catapults. Yeah, no, I I don't know. I don't know whether this is like a Three person slingshot, or whether it was actual catapults, I have no fucking oh. clue. Um, they they drive back the thugs by throwing lead weights at them, uh, and then they um, they the thugs flee out the roof and get away. And so once they've resquatted the building, they turn around and start barricading immediately. The shield door was nailed over a window, and riot cops show up like right away, and a crowd shows up outside. 120 riot cops break into a 200 meter long charge and the 30 to 40 folks inside, they don't run away because you don't abandon your friends outside the crowd fights back. And there's like a scene, like one squatter with an iron bar. Like I think like a 10 foot bar is just like holding two 12 cops at bay by like swinging this bar around. Both sides are throwing rocks at each other. At this point, the cops are are throwing rocks back. Uh, The cops fire CN gas, even though it had been just illegalized um, or just banned in favor of the slightly less toxic CS gas. And squatters start throwing up in the canal. This whole melee maelstrom. Eventually, the cops make it into the building um, or they make it to the building. And the squatters inside are listening to Free Kaiser, the radio station, the pirate radio station. And it's playing street fighting. It's all very cinematic the way it's all described. It's playing street fighting man by the Rolling Stones and Anarchy in the UK by the Sex Pistols. And the account that I read was like, instead of the songs inspiring morale, the squatters were like, could they just fucking play something different? Why do they keep playing these fucking songs? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And they're throwing everything left, right? The half of it just got thrown at them. They turn around and they throw bed springs, heaters, chairs, tables, everything at the cops. They run out of stuff to throw. Um, Tear gas is pouring into the house. So eventually they flee out over the roof, except two people who stay behind to get arrested. Uh, Some get out the ground floor and they like jump into the canal to get away. Others make it out over the roof and jump across like a one meter or so gap to the next building and then like break into the next building. Um, Or they find an open window and they crawl through and they leave a sorry note, like an apology note and some money on the table of the person whose apartment that they just broke into. Some of the people who live there are really upset about this. And some of the people who live there are super sympathetic, like uh, at least one woman squatter gets basically like hidden in an apartment, I think under a bed um, in order to keep the cops away. But another person is like, they're in here, you know, which, whatever you broke into their house. I don't know, whatever. Um, cops come in, arrest some of them, drag them out by their hair. It's like super brutal arrest. Some of them are beaten bloody unconscious and the riot like kind of moves into the streets and starts moving around the city. And it largely keeps the the police at bay and the squatters, they lose the house, right? But they declare uh-huh. the day of victory. And they'd won because this is the first, like, this is the most intense confrontation they've had so far, I think, besides the not squat-related Queen's Day riots. Um, yeah. And they won because they'd pro- proven that they were willing to stake their lives defending having places to sleep. Um, and they basically were like, nothing's going to be the same after this. And it was this big sea change movement. Um A ton of squatters were like, fuck this, this is too serious now, and started backing out of the movement. Uh, I think around this time, some entire neighborhood groups were like, you know, we kind of got our houses, we're going to kind of back off now. Um, But the public perception changed to squatters will fight tooth and fucking nail for a roof over their heads, and you can't fuck with them. And the real estate prospectors who'd hired the thugs at that particular squat fled the country and moved to Germany for a while. Um, wow. Because they were afraid for their lives, they do. They did come back and then got their like car pushed into the canal and shit. But um, for a while, they flee the country. Sixteen people are arrested for defending this house. Six of whom are charged in jail. They refuse to give their names. They make nuisances of themselves. Squatters gather outside the jail, loud as hell, in what's called a, a noise demo, um, mm-hmm. where you know, uh, one that I've been on. People bring like a hand crank air raid siren and just like make a ton of noise. The pirate radio station starts sending messages into the jail. Care packages show up every hour for the arrestees. All the old hippie radical lawyers step up and are like, all right, we'll defend you. Um, so it's this whole big fucking thing. Mm-hmm. And this is the second time that this gag has happened in real life on this show. One of the squatters, he's in jail, and the jailer's like, someone made you a cake. I'm going to give you the cake, but you can't have the pan. I'm not allowed to have the pan. So I'm going to pull the, he pulls the cake out of the pan. Somehow it comes out in one piece. He hands it to the squatter. Leaves. And the squatter starts breaking off pieces of the cake to eat. And there's a fucking file baked into the cake.
4: Um Like, really?
3: Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and the squatter doesn't use it, right? He, like, hides it in his sweater. And then later he gets moved to a different jail and they, like, find the file in his sweater and confiscate it. Ah! I know, it's like, this could have gone really epic jailbreak like the last time this exact same fucking Looney Tunes shit happened in real life on this show. And they spent six weeks in jail, and this is the longest the squatters had spent in jail up to that point. And, I don't know, whatever, I've never spent that long in jail, but... It's... Okay, so mm-hmm. they go to trial, and they decide they're going to make a mockery of the whole thing. Um, and they're like, if the judge is an asshole, we should all have like good jokes lined up to make fun of the judge... To quote one of the arrestees, they considered puking, shitting, standing on your head, fainting, or pointing out a zit on the judge's face. That's like, they were like, what should we do, <laughs> you know? And one of them said, that to me is the essence of a political trial. Not so much the testimony you give, but that you see it as a fight. Who's determining the order here? Which I huh. think gets at the the basic idea behind the Dutch squatter's success. You just de- deciding that you are in charge, uh, whether or not, the other people think that that's true. Um, you determine the means of engagement. You, you act as though your cause is legitimate and you are a legitimate force. You're not asking for housing. You're fucking taking it and defending it. So later, they're release, released on their own recognizance and they just don't show up to their next trial date. Instead, they set up a squatter's court they've made. They pronounce judgment on the speculators, the city, the police, the law, and have a big demonstration afterwards. And squatters have meetings all over the city to plan the next step. And they decide that their best move is to make it really fucking financially expensive for the city to evict their squats, um, which they do in two ways. One, they make their houses really well defended, so it takes a ton of cops and equipment to evict them. I know that this eventually culminates, like twenty five years later, at least, in uh, you have eviction waves, right, where uh-huh. you know the the cops in Amsterdam are not enough to evict the squats in Amsterdam, or the same in other cities, I believe. And so it's like. Once every couple of months, all the cops from the country like, get together to evict all the squats, as many as they can in one day, um, in which case your job then becomes make it take a really long time so fewer squats end up evicted. Uh, so that's the first way, defend the hell out of the squats. And two, the riots need to do as much damage as possible to banks and real estate agents and other such targets. Um, and this, the riots need to spread throughout the city. Um, basically, if you evict a house, there isn't just going to be a riot at that house. There'll be targeted rioting everywhere. You can't drag us out of our homes. And the new strategy was soon put to a test. The first time, it succeeded really well, and the second time, it kind of failed. The first time, it took 2,000 fucking cops with armored cars, bulldozers, construction equipment, three hydraulic cranes, two water cannons, and snipers with rifles on rooftops and military police. Um, the squatters fought them off until the last minute then snuck out through a hole in the wall into the church next door which just fucking rules Um, the second time I think this is what happened is very whatever a single squatter was inside and reads out a statement on a megaphone to the police we will keep our struggle in our own hands and determine ourselves how and when it will take place basically they're like ah you thought we were really going to defend this one but we're not fuck you you wasted all this fucking effort um, but the police then went wild on the crowd outside, which was actually mostly like bystanders and tourists, mm. um, and the cops were kind of brutal to people. So it was like not seen as a success.
4: Whoa. They they actually, there's like, so they, they found the house, uh, empty because they were like, we're, we're not going to fight for this one because we choose the thing. Yeah. And then the police were so angry. They just lash out at, them. I.
3: I think so. It seems like they maybe kind of mistook the crowd outside for being more squatters or whatever. But yeah, it seems like they were like, mm. maybe there were some squatters outside, but they just like went, you know, it was a police riot basically. Um, and so the six arrestees from before, their, their court date that they actually go to is on September 8th, 1980. And the night before the, the Vogelstrauss is squatted again for the third time uh, because it's at this point a symbol and also it's a cool way to be like well you all are you arrested us for doing this and the trials tomorrow we're going to squat it again um and this time they did it quietly at night they brought 30 squatters with ladders and there were three of the owner's thugs inside who they just escorted outside and kicked out um, i don't know how long that re-squat lasted
4: hmm. sorry the the name is it yeah no, please. struis is that uh it's not straat toch it's not, not straat
3: no it's it's oh. Struys. Ah, okay. How do you okay. actually say it?
4: <laughs> Vogel Strauss. So
3: I was close. Okay, we we're close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sort of. So
4: um, it's the the sound that's the same for the word onion. Ou. Um, okay, but it's the, the fancy spelling of it. So normally, an ostrich mm-hmm. in Dutch is an struisvogel, okay. and now, so they flipped it and they wrote it with a Y, which is kind of the kind of the fancy or faux fancy way to do it. So I'm, Huh. Wonder what, what that's about.
3: Uh, there's a small chance it's a transcription error on my part, but I don't know. No, they do um, that, but yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, okay, so the trial, it starts, it lasts like two years. And throughout it, the defendants, they just keep fucking with it. Like basically everyone who's on trial in this podcast, which I don't even specifically recommend. Anyone who's listening, I'm like, sometimes you just got to like put your head down and take your time, you know? Um but it's also really cool if you do this kind of shit. One of the defendants named uh, B.A.S. Boss. Um, Boss. Yeah. He just uh, sat there knitting, very colorful knitting. Um, at one point, someone was like, oh, he's the only one who actually got anything done. during It was a waste of time for everyone but Boss. At one point, Boss also stole the judge's gavel. Um, they turned the whole thing into a circus every chance they get. They're tearing up law books and throwing them at people. One of their supporters, like, vomits on purpose in the audience. Um, And in the end, some of them got off, and some of them got, like, two to four months in prison. Um, And... Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's not very long um, for how much effort was put into all of this. Uh, And meanwhile, squats are happening, evictions are happening, riots are happening. And when they demonstrate... Apparently, a lot of them, the, the demonstrations are silent but for one chant, right to live. And they go to real estate prospectors' homes, they smash out windows, they throw in smoke bombs. Uh, fancy cars of the real estate prospectors are pushed into canals. They loot fan- fancy storefronts and build barricades of stolen mannequins. Uh, at one point, they lured motorcycle cops into a trap. They were like being chased by motorcycle cops, so they like I think like ran around the corner where they had set up a bunch uh-huh. of um, dumpsters as barricades, and the, all the motorcycle cops crash into the dumpsters. Um, wow, which is pretty cool. And then other mm-hmm. dumpsters were dragged into the street and set on fire. Um, but you know what else is on fire? Are these savings from the?
2: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
4: oh i love
3: it (laughs) um we'll be right back after this word from potatoes and wait and deep fried things
1: this is it your moment this is your time to make your comeback with purdue global when you come back with a purdue global degree you create opportunity for yourself your family and your future
0: it just being me. Amy Winehouse, back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson, rated R. Under 17, not a minute without parent, only in theaters, May 17th.
3: And we are back. And we are talking about rioting in a way as a way to defend uh, tens of thousands of people getting to sleep inside instead of outside. That's like the thing that I think like often like gets lost, is like I think when I was young, it would just be mm-hmm. like, riots are cool, right? but you could really easily have the other side where you're like oh this just sounds like meaningless destruction right mm-hmm. but it's the context that is so interesting to me because you know there's like riots that are really bad all the time too right like but the context of like we are exerting political force in th- as directly as possible so that we all get to keep sleeping inside you know is yeah. the i feel like it's like too easy to get like just caught up in the like looney tunes Trick the cops into driving in the barricades thing um, yeah yeah
4: yeah, but yeah, and it's like if you, if you take if you take it further, even if you're not keeping tens of thousands of people off the street like um uh, part of the 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 thing you get with squatting is is freedom of your time because yeah. um, instead of paying rent, you do not, so you get you get those hours of the day back, which means it can help you uh. Organize, get other stuff done, or do work in the community and set up just like projects of like mutual aid and and services that others uh, don't provide to to live more the way you want to and to give an mm-hmm. example of how the world could be. And this is also at stake, like um, part of the the importance of uh, of evicting these things besides protecting the money uh, value for the for the investors. Is also to prevent exactly the kind of uh, organizing that they tried to do. Like I don't know if you intend to talk about the Vitevitsa plan.
3: No, tell me about that.
4: Um, but though, this was initiated from the from the squatting movement as a way mm-hmm. to say like um, we want to provide things like outside of capitalism and for mm-hmm. them to be free. So what they did um, is they uh, they fixed like a lot of bikes, like they 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 bought them or built them or painted them. Uh, and they were white. There's mm-hmm. the white bit uh, of fitzplan white, ah, bike. yeah, uh-huh. And so the idea was you get these you get these bikes everywhere and they're marked. so you know this is a bike you can just use, and people just cycle these bikes around and get them. Um, and that worked pretty well. Um, and this is the kind of thing you can do when you have these this resource and the time for yourself that you don't need to spend um, working for a landlord,
3: yeah. Yeah, no, that is that is a really good point. Um and also I like the directness of saying working for a landlord cuz that is what you do when you pay rent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You go out and you make money to give to your landlord. Yeah. Um
4: Yeah. More than a house, more than just a, a roof over your head. Um like if you're not if you're not homeless, then squatting is you get back like I don't know, 15 to 20 hours uh of of your best hours in the week that you don't pay your landlord.
3: Yeah. 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 And so, okay. So, and I would, it goes very well with what was next in the script. In addition to squatting for housing, people are squatting for social space as well. And you have squat bars up all over the city and, and also other social centers that are not just revolving around drinking, but some of the squat bars, uh, would provide bounties. Basically it's like, if you take out the surveillance camera, you can drink for free at the squat bar Mm -hmm. for the night. Um, Years later, I went out on a bounty hunt for i Amsterdam banners, which was like this gentrification campaign for the city yeah um and it was a really bad idea because it was just me and my drunk friend climbing flagpoles over canals uh in the middle of the night, but it got us free beer, okay, so anyway, I
4: don't know, yeah, still this <laughs> kind of thing happens still at times is this just, uh yeah, like smaller scale, but it's not it's not gone
3: yeah, no, it's fucking awesome um. And what you're talking about, like, you know, and like the first time I was in a really good giveaway shop. Right. In the US, we usually call them free stores. And I remember them being the giveaway shops and things like where you just Mm -hmm. you can walk in and they're like, well, we're not paying rent and all this shit is stuff we pull out of the trash. So, like, it's just free and people can just come in and take what they need, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. and it's really fucking nice. Um, So eventually in 1980, in October, 1980, a year after the great Kaiser was supposed to be evicted. But they held on to it for an extra year. The city bought Great Kaiser, and after negotiations with the squatters, multiple housing cooperatives decided to move into the building. And this was contentious. Some it was seen by some in the squatter movement as like basically the squatter movement going bourgeois. Uh, others took it as a victory. I think this is one of the earlier examples of legalized squats, but I'm not actually entirely certain. I had a hard time finding the timeline of legalized squats. Um, and at one point before. This all happened before it all happened. Some faction of squatters broke back in before and got drunk and trashed the place and covered it in slogans, basically being like, fuck you, you bourgeois assholes, or whatever. Uh, and then others went in to clean it up. And so I think that that gets at some of the tensions that are starting to happen in the movement at this point. Um, and there starts also being more tension between neighborhoods and the citywide council as well. Theoretically, the citywide council can only act as a coordinating body, and no one, no neighborhood or clique was in charge. Any neighborhood could call for a citywide meeting. But in practice, some portion of the squatter movement was ending up kind of directing other portions of the squatter movement. And entire neighborhoods end up feeling disenfranchised, uh, especially the less radical ones, I believe. And a lot of the kind of conversation around then is like, when is it a scene? When is it a movement? And so, so most of the largest riots were in those first few years, but the squatting movement continued afterwards. And one of the biggest things, one of the sort of sea change moments that happened in this in 1985, a 23-year-old Dutch squatter named Hans Kok died in a police cell after being severely beaten during his arrest in a re action. And the movement gathered to discuss. Basically, they're like, well, fuck it. If they're just going to beat us to death anyway. And in that kind of crisis moment, fear lifted and the Molotovs came out. And cop cars started burning. There were 40 different lightning strike actions taken in uh, revenge for his death. There were arsons at cop stations, a tour boat, city hall, the city records office. Other cities set up burning barricades and broke out government windows. And the arsons were probably committed only by a limited group of people. But thousands of people showed up the next day at a demonstration. And previous divisions that had been splintering the scene started Mm -hmm. to fall apart. The, The cops declared the death an overdose, though. And the squatters had a new demand. They were like, all right, we want an independent autopsy. And the media agreed. They were like, we want to see the real reports. And basically through that combination of pressure, the autopsy happened. And the truth in the end was complicated. To quote that book, Cracking the Movement, Hans Koch died because the police let him die. But he died also because he, in any case to a certain extent, wanted to. During his arrest, he swallowed a bottle of methadone tablets and he knew what kind of consequences that might have. Hans Koch had said to his parents he wouldn't live to see 30. So a year later at his memorial... Uh, the squatters marched to the police station and smashed out the windows, and then they laid wreaths and flowers against the wall. And most of the crowd moved on, but some of the squatters and Hanscock's father linked arms and surrounded the wreaths. And they decided, for that part of the action, they were going to not use violence. Right? This is now a symbolic in a different way. And so the media shows up just as the cops crash into the the crash into people with batons and beat Hans's father and trample the flowers and. You know, destroy this memorial. And everything I've read about the squat movement in the Netherlands talks about how it peaked in 1980 and declined, right? Mm-hmm. Um, as if the movement only happened from 1979 to 1981. And that, uh, as you are a testament to, I believe, um, isn't true. Um, no, no, no. Yeah. And it seems likely that there were fewer squat actions after that. Like, I mean, probably the majority of squat actions happened after that, right? But uh, the biggest riots were in 1980 for sure, right? But squatting is about living, it's about being housed, it's about taking back our time. And squats continued and people have lived decades in squats and the squatter movement has refined its methods. Um, Squatters used their access to space to be active participants in worldwide political struggle. The, The meager squat bars, which served up cheap beer, which half the time was stolen from supermarkets anyway, raised money to send to revolutionaries in Latin America. They ran giveaway shops. They uh, held political movie nights and discussions. They housed refugees and migrants. They hid fugitives. They also formed the cornerstone of the Dutch anti-fascist movement, which is its own beautiful story that I don't have time to go into, but directly stopped fascist organizing within the city of Amsterdam at one point in the eighties and sent a a growing far right movement, um, at least in that part of the Netherlands into decline for a while. Um, Yeah, Yeah. And as far as I understand is one of the, kind of cornerstones of what we now kind of understand as the anti-fascist movement or like Antifa or whatever, coming out of a lot of the shit that happened. Not as like the oh, soul. Yeah, yeah. yeah, go ahead.
4: No, I would, I would absolutely, absolutely agree. In many ways, it's the 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 cornerstone and where much of like uh, movement infrastructure is now based. Um, I was a bit quiet because I, I, mm-hmm. I recently, uh, uh, got told or retold like the, the story of like the initial actions around the uh, Hans Koch. So when mm-hmm. you, when you told that, that story, um, um, it's, it's, it's quite, it's quite heavy because of course, uh, yeah. Um, uh, Hans, Hans Koch was, uh, arrested like heavily, heavily beaten in a, uh, in a re situation where, uh, gunshots were fired Oh shit. by police, etc. Yeah. Okay. um, um and so to hear like this thing about the memorial uh, that yeah. kind of continues that that, that story, um, uh, but I would ab- absolutely uh, agree. Like the people, people pretend like oh, squatting is uh, is over uh, in the early '80s, where like um, there there's there's been a decline and it's been like progressive uh, with like not a linear uh, progression mm-hmm. either. Um, um, but it's not it's not gone and it's. Uh, and it's much more like it's been bigger for like quite for quite recent. like the the mm-hmm. squatting ban is now, I think twelve, yeah, uh, twelve years old. Um, and that that was a a big blow, especially to like the squatting movement in smaller towns mm-hmm. um, because in bigger cities, when there's more of a squatting movement there, they can take a blow also better. So mm-hmm. um, the bigger the bigger. Uh, populations they they can manage the blow better uh, but but squatting is still is still relevant and is still being done also in in new ways and there uh, are new groups also innovating and working on this and um, um so the the fact that i've heard so much about squatting even though i myself am not directly very involved with the squatting itself mm-hmm. um is also a, a testament of its of its influence um, uh, I have like been like around and uh, doing things with with squatting, but I wouldn't call myself a squatter. But it's such a uh, pervasive part of like the uh, radicalism and leftism in the Netherlands uh, that you 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 it's it's always there because it's it's where infrastructure, it's where mm-hmm. experience is. Um, if you look now at recent uh, actions where things uh, like there's there's confrontation with police you instantly see the difference. Like if there's a a group of people with some experienced squatters among them, especially older ones, Mm -hmm. then suddenly um, useful techniques against the police are (laughs) disseminated among the crowd. Mm -hmm. Um, Very recently, last year, uh, um, there was a housing uh, wave of demos around housing. And the first one of that was in Amsterdam. And it was started by, um, well, it was headed by a huge block of, uh, squatters and, uh, and anarchists. It took like a few minutes to pass by,
1: mm-hmm. or
4: uh, and then afterwards was the rest of like the housing demonstration. And uh, towards the the city center, the dumb there there uh, came a confrontation because there was a squatting action attempted at the end of this demonstration, mm-hmm. and police showed up with horses. And when uh, they were trying to drive off these people, there were some parts where there were people who knew uh, some of these techniques about how to deal with horses and where they were, the experienced squatters were like, everybody, you have to jump up and down because horses, uh, they don't like that. It scares them. (laughs) So you have to uh, anticipate when they're gonna come and you jump up and down so that the horses won't come by. And if enough people do it, they take the horses away because the horses Uh can't handle that. And that worked. And a lot of those people, they were there for the first time, but because there was this uh, living tradition of squatting and this living memory of earlier struggle, uh, that helps inform and introduce mm-hmm. new people uh it's it's a part of our uh, of our strength um and it's it's still very very relevant
3: yeah yeah and then and there's like all that inherited infrastructure right like you know there's like all of these legalized squats and and that's something that we didn't really talk about um that one of the things that happened that's you know complicated within the squatting movement was that a lot of these squats legalized and then essentially mm-hmm. entered you know are now owned by the the squatters yeah and then so in 2010 the city you know caved to capitalist well not the country. sorry this not the city the country caved to capitalist pressure outlawed squatting um mm-hmm. and it became a, a crime worth a year in prison to to occupy an unoccupied building and as you pointed out people continue to do it right it, it seems to have yeah. massively negatively impacted the number of squats and things but a lot of a lot of the core has still survived uh, and some of the modern squatting stuff that I've run across, and I'm curious if you know more and have more information about these two, uh, one is a group that's called We Are Here, and it's a collective of migrants and asylum speak- uh, seekers, mostly from Africa, who yeah. refuse to use the homeless shelters that are, you know, you have to show up only at night, you have to get out first thing in the morning, or just all the usual absolute garbage of um, the shelter system, and instead squat buildings in Amsterdam. Uh, and then there's another group, uh, an anarcho feminist group, with the name, anarcho feminist group, uh, that recently squatted a building of oh, Amsterdam. Oh, okay, I got. Sorry, yep. yeah, it's AFGA. <laughs> also, I was going. Uh-huh. If
4: you if you weren't wouldn't mention them, I would have. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, AFGA. Yeah.
3: Yeah, and so they they recently squatted a building in the red light district in protest of the gentrification of the red light district. Is that a, a reasonable summary? As
4: yeah, they 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 squat a lot. Okay. Um, yeah, they do like super energetic and uh also um very like in their own in their own style taking from tradition but also mm-hmm. inventing uh new things or just finding out for themselves uh new ways to do um and they they yeah
3: that's cool uh, yeah
4: they're a really interesting group you also follow them on instagram
3: yeah 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 no i yeah i like them okay and so then there's like other some of the other legacy stuff i found obviously there's all that infrastructure we've talked about there's an entire generation, as you talked about, of people who know how to take and exercise power collectively, um, which is so cool because you can say that in this very abstract way. You're like, oh, there's a whole generation of people who know how to take power collectively. And like, sometimes that means knowing to jump up and down when the cops, go, you know. Yeah. Um, and there's thousands of buildings that have been saved from demolition. The physical character of Amsterdam, which is so loved by tourists and all that shit, like kind of seems like it exists because of fucking squatters. There's this idea. There was was Uh
4: one time they wanted to run like the uh, a highway like straight through the city center, Mm -hmm. where it's like in the um, there's a there's a tunnel that goes through the A, which separates uh, the Amsterdam city center from the north. Mm -hmm. In the north, the highway just goes straight through the middle Mm -hmm. uh, into the water, into the tunnel, and on the other side, it comes up on a much smaller road. Uh, where it has to split out into the city because there's no big highway cutting through the city center of Amsterdam mm-hmm. where there were plans to make that highway um but they were aborted by uh, a militant group uh of like squatters and uh squatter affiliated or just friendly or... protesters stopping this um which is why that that big highway isn't there
3: yeah no that that fucking rules um and I feel like it's like something that people need to kind of remember. Like, um, I, a lot of the things that I cover on the show, people don't win in the end, or like what they won was like the friends they met along the way, or like some good last words yeah, as yeah, they get yeah. hanged or whatever, you know. But it's like sometimes we can like, even if we don't necessarily win our like full absolute goals, right? Um, we can sometimes win a fucking lot along the way. Um, yeah. And apparently the the neighborhood, uh, and please correct my pronunciation, Jordan, Jordan, um, Jordan, Jordan like, was going to have been leveled, essentially. Uh, mm. And basically the squatters in the 80s, like, are the reason it exists. Um, and there's one final, most important legacy of the squatter movement. It is because of the squatter movement of the Netherlands that I met my friend, Sjord, who got me back into playing Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, oh, awesome. So I don't know if Sheward listens to this show, but if he does, thanks for getting me back into playing Dungeons & Dragons. <laughs> and also for going so hard against Nazis for all those years
4: that's my <laughs> wow. so wonderful
2: amazing. <laughs> Alex do you have that's anything lovely. you'd like to plug at the end
4: um, I would uh, I would of course you can follow uh, me and my my uh, Dutch language podcast and my Dutch language uh, not so very active social social media at uh Onderstrom Punt Red which is Dutch for like save so it's a Spanish URL but in Dutch it means like Onderstrom saves because together we can make it and um Uh, But otherwise, I would would like to plug uh, a new uh, radical crowdfund platform called uh, Firestarter, um, which is uh, uh, a crowdfund platform uh, that uh, is based in the Netherlands. It's launching soon and it's meant to uh, do crowdfunding specifically for uh, radical and uh, leftist projects because if you stick them together, they can strengthen each other. And if the platform is on our side, it can use what it can do Uh, like the the strength of a platform to further develop our own movements and our power. Um, And you can find them on firestarterfund.nl and that links also to a number of socials.
2: Great. And uh, you can pre-order Margaret Kiljoy's (laughs) new book, We Won't Be Here Tomorrow, from AK Press. That comes out on September 20th. Did I get that right? Yes. Crushed it. And you can get a nice little print if you pre-order of the cover i'm i'm really
3: I, I don't know if i got the art part right but there is art i know there's art yeah yeah i think you got oh. it right crushed it and sophie and where nice. do people follow you on social media uh
2: you can uh follow me at uh, sophie at what is my name on twitter at y underscore sophie underscore y on twitter uh for all the things and at cool On media everywhere Uh, That's it. We'll we'll be back Monday with another story of cool people who did cool stuff. Right, Margaret?
3: Yay.
2: Yay. Bye-bye.
4: Bye. Bye, Bye, everyone.
2: Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts on Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.
0: Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh?
1: Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country.